This is The Rundown, presented by The Runner Washington. Featuring Alex McIntyre and Kyle Paulson. And now, here is your host, The Runner Washington himself, Keenan Gray. Hello and welcome back to The Rundown. Hope you all enjoyed your three-day weekend. This is Keenan Gray from The Runner Washington. Joining me, as always, Alex McIntyre and Kyle Paulson. We have a very exciting show for you guys. To kick things off, we'll talk about the new restart plan for cross-country beginning on February 1st. And then we have a special guest coming on, Brooks Beast, professional runner Isaac Yorks, a legend from Lakes High School in Lakewood, the Tacoma area. And then we'll talk about 41 through 50 rankings on the girls' side as that just kicked off this last weekend. So going back to the Washington startup, cross country is now officially beginning on February 1st. And I heard it was supposed to be phase two, that there was going to be competition, but it sounds like now athletes will be able to compete in phase one from here on out. And by the looks of it, everybody's already in phase one. So things are looking good right now, but is this a little concerning that the startup is pretty quick like it's in a couple weeks from now with us thinking that cross country was going to start on march 1st now it's on february 1st so alex as a coach yourself are you a little bit nervous about this restart or perhaps are you ready for the kids to get back into it i'm just ready it's it's really easy for me to say that i'm not going to have to deal with with snow and ice like i know a lot of our competitors within the state will um so i'm i'm empathetic towards them but also I think that right now with just student uh, athletes, um, emotional state, physical state, it's just, it's just time to get going. So um, I think one thing that all these athletes are able to do right now is adapt within the last year where so change is not crazy hard to deal with based on what we've been given in the past. So let's just get into it. Let's start racing. That's what I say. And with that being said, this is one of the tougher times of the year, the winter time. It's dark, it's cold, not a lot of people have motivation to get out there and run, but potentially maybe with this February 1st thing in action, what the WIA has said, it's going to get these kids rocking and rolling sooner rather than later. And Kyle, I know over in Eastern Washington, for both of us at least, it is cold and sometimes miserable, but what's your take on this? And are, do you think those kids are ready to get after it? I think it's about time. I'm really excited that they seem to actually have a date set and are sticking to it. Um, you know, I think the fact that they gave us such short notice really means that there's no way they should postpone it um, more so than they have. So I think it's great. I think the kids really need it. Um, I know everyone I've spoken to is really excited and that, you know, I think the, our legislators are finally listening to our students. You know, there's even plans about going to a hybrid system with having kids come into class and do it online. And I just think that they finally realize that this is what the kids want. This is what they need. And hopefully that's what they're going to get. With the state now being divided up and I believe it's eight regions. You can correct me if I'm wrong about that. Eight regions. Sounds like there won't be any state championships this year, but there's a potential to have a regional setup championship style. Who knows what that's going to look like? 
how that's gonna how that's gonna look. Um, but regardless of that, if it is regional, I think each region has a fair amount of talent that will give some good competition. I look over in the East region, we're talking about the GSL GSL schools, North Central, Mead, all those schools that have traditionally been very, very good in years past. It'll be interesting to see what they can do all against each other if there was a regional meet, because none of them really have a chance to compete against each other if they're not in the same classification. A lot of those schools are either 4A or 3A. So we don't necessarily see what they do come postseason when they're facing up against each other. When you look at the West side, same case. A lot of schools that are bigger, smaller, don't get to see each other in postseason, but now potentially might have a chance to race against each other come a regional style since classifications in state will matter this year. If that were the case, Alex, how competitive do you think it would be this year? Uh, it's well, honestly, it'll depend on which region you're in. Um, it's, you know, just kind of a fact that some of the regions are more com competitive than, than others. Um, but it does open up some new opportunities. Like you were saying with, you know, 3A, 4A, 2A, I, in Yelm, we extend all the way like to the Grace Harbor, Aberdeen area. We're going to see all kinds of different athletes. Um, side note, I'm excited to see, uh, Bryce Serkinick and Ethan Coleman line up in a dual meet Olympia versus Yelm. That's one of those opportunity opportunities that's going to happen that we wouldn't have had before. Um, so we, we just take it and run with it. And, um, I think some cool things will, will come out of it that we wouldn't have seen. Uh, and just, you know, try to look on the bright side of things that kids are racing, even, even though it's different. But the biggest hassle now, I think that's going to be coming in the way. And th this sounds like this has to be in order for all sports in order for anyone to participate is this darn mask. This mask, these sounds like these kids might have to wear it in competition. Kyle, I personally don't like wearing a mask while I'm running. How would you feel as an athlete racing in a mask? Fairly uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I think warming up when you get to the meet, when you're on the bus or however you get there, you know, mask up. But I wish, I hope they think of some way where they don't have to race. I heard of some states saying that you could ditch your mask at like after quarter mile in or after first straightaway. So hopefully they figure out where they don't have to have the athletes race in it. I've ran in a mask a couple times, um, you know, it's not the worst thing ever, but it's definitely not my favorite experience. You know, you want to run free, right? Exactly. I mean, it's not the most comfortable feeling in the world, but if that was the only opportunity you had to race and you had to wear a mask, would you do it? I mean, yeah, that was the only way. Um, I know the World Health Organization has stated that they don't recommend exercising or like running in masks due to the sweat buildup and some microorganisms and stuff that comes with that. Um, but again, if that's what our state requires for us to get out and run, then okay, we'll do it. And if kids like, are upset about like where they have one team do it, you know, if, if everyone's doing it, then it's a fair game. Well, and like you said, states around the country are having them wear the masks probably for the first quarter mile and then they're all taking it off. So if that's the case, I'm perfectly okay with that. Cause then the kids are able to, breathe properly and potentially run some fast time so i'm just picturing galen Rupp in that race in oregon when the pollen count was super high remember when he won that mm -hmm. race in the mask but yeah i really struggle to ask kids to run in a mask but uh, i think i'll be showing him the video of Rupp in that race because maybe they'll <laughs> realize it's doable and, and the funny thing is he didn't finish that race with a mask on 
Like I think Alberto Salazar told him to take it off whenever he felt discomfort. And I think it was probably maybe, I think it had to have been a 5K hit he was running in. And there was probably three laps to go and he immediately took it off because he felt it wasn't necessary. He was like, I, I don't need to wear this. I'm not breathing as well. I'm not getting in oxygen as, as much as I wish I could, but that's the case. Right the, the, oh, sorry. Go if ahead. You, go ahead. If you look at the pacing, you know, he, he took that mask off once the pace really started to pick up. And while he was wearing it, they were going about his half marathon pace. So, you know, from going for him, I mean, half marathon pace is going to be like five minute pace, but really that's something he can do for just about an hour for a race. That's just under a half hour and you know, 13 minutes. So that's really not too uncomfortable for that first part while he was wearing the mask. Here with the kids, we're asking them to be super competitive for, you know, the, the whole race, going as high as they can, not doing their half marathon pace for, for a tempo for 15 minutes. That makes sense. Well, we're also talking about a world-class athlete who probably has uh, a respiratory system that is through the roof when it comes to racing. And I, I'm sure Galen Rupp was able to handle it, but who knows, maybe high school athletes are able to handle wearing a mask and racing at the same time. But We'll find out in the next couple of weeks as cross country is set to start up again on February 1st. And I have no idea when the first dual meet will be. Uh, I know over, at least in Spokane and the GSL, they're not starting cross country until 22nd. So we're going to find out and see what's dual meets. I know Alex already mentioned Olympia versus Yelm. I'm going to be looking really forward to seeing that race between Ethan Coleman and Bryce Serkinick. That'll be a fun matchup to see. So that was the news from the WIA Actually, after our last episode, that news came out immediately. So we couldn't talk about it last episode, but here we are talking about it now. So, all right, switching gears, we'll be moving along. Joining us now virtually from Albuquerque, New Mexico, training with the Brooks Beast Professional Runners, Isaac York's a graduate of Lakes High School 2013, I believe, and a University of Washington graduate in 2016. He joins us here on The Rundown. Isaac, how's it going, man? It's good. How are you? What's up? We're doing we're doing pretty good. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your time right now in Albuquerque, training at Elevation with the Brooks Beast. Oh man, well uh, Albuquerque's Albuquerque, so it's like brown, hard to breathe. Um, but no, it's been good. We've been here for about seven days now, like since <laughs> practice has really officially started. Um, and you know, like with <laughs> COVID adds a whole like wrench into things. Um, but so far we've been pretty blessed as in we've been able to find a good gym situation uh, as well as unlike back in Seattle, there are tracks that are open for use. So in general, um, the work's really just beginning. Uh, it's going to be kind of an intense period. We're going to be here up in, like, through March and go home for like a month and then come back. So uh, really kind of just, starting the journey of getting ready for what few races are going to be. So talk to us what COVID has been like for you. Obviously being a professional runner, there hasn't been a whole lot of racing going on, but for you personally training in Seattle with a couple of the Brooks Brees, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so gosh, yeah. COVID has been, if anything, it's, it's really been a lesson in like, learning how to adapt and change on the fly um you know back in back in seattle uh and you know the response has been kind of state by state in terms of like the severity of 
what's being shut down or not. Um, and we were really kind of just like, you know, originally everything got shut down and the team kind of got like put on pause. Like if you were training, it was kind of on your own. Um, and then as we kind of moved into the fall, you know, there's a little bit more of a handle on it. Uh, kind of piecemealed like a gym together, but really it's been, I mean, it's really just been just trying to get, get the, get the work done. Um, and it actually hasn't been too hard. Right. Cause like, it's not like we're practicing inside. We're outside relatively safe. Um, I think that the, the biggest thing that's been like, kind of like a tough morale thing, if you will be is like, it's always just hard to get really, really fit for nothing. Um, and so, and just like remembering, like, you don't know when an opportunity is going to open up and just like being kind of like having your mind still like set up and ready as if it's a normal season and just like staying the course. Um, and, I, and I think the team's done a really good job of that. And back when COVID kind of became a thing, Brooks actually shut down for a little bit because one of your athletes and a rookie athlete who joined you guys got COVID Spencer Brown, who is everyone known as the athlete special Talk about that and what that situation was like. Um, well, you know, it, it, like, I feel like there are things that like kind of go around and it's like, seems like uh, a huge deal. And I'm not going to like underscore that and say like that it's not a big deal, but like ultimately he's fine. Um, but yeah, that, that was kind of like rough because it was like, you know, everything turned out all right. But um, it, I think it just really kind of like, even though everybody was taking things pretty seriously, it just kind of goes to show that like you can do everything right and the transmissibility of it's so high that you can get it. And so um, I think that that like probably initially like rattled a few people on the team a little bit. Um, and so that, that was probably kind of hard, but I think it was most real for a lot of people though. It was just like, okay, you know, we're not, it's not like anything to really panic over, but like, all right, now we got to take like 10 days off gotta do the test gotta you know quarantine and so it wasn't like you know I think it made the team kind of come in closer to each other and be like okay um feel like we're doing everything most things right and we're gonna tighten that up and like kind of make like a social contract to each other like we're gonna make sure we're really doing everything right so we can at least hang out with you guys you know because uh if we can't train together like you know that's like that's like a whole nother thing that's just gone right like like and I, I think that was hard for people too, is like kind of realizing like, um, dude, like you know, training and running and size, as much as it is like this really like big endeavor and job for us to like try and go and make teams and stuff. But it, it also has like this cathartic effect too, of like just being outside and running and having that taken away is probably, it's kind of tough, but we got through it and uh, everything's going pretty well now, so and this is a pretty celebratory team you're a part of i mean we're talking about obviously spencer brown a youtube sensation josh kerr one of the greatest milers to come out of the university of new mexico uh, a, a division two 1500 meter record holder and on the girl side ali ostrander what's it like training with those athletes uh yeah i mean it's pretty cool like uh at the same it's kind of funny because you like you say celebratory and like uh it's so easy for me and for like everyone to forget like who we're training with, you know, like 
there's like everyone on the team has something like really cool about them that like you could totally geek out about but like at the same time after you start running with uh everyone and you see josh getting mad at someone for sitting in their chair uh because you know they're sweaty or like uh you you know it's just like everyone gets a little bit more humanized and it's like so the element of like it feeling like this cool celebratory thing is like so quickly forgotten and then you kind of remember it when like people stop you or people stop your teammates or whatever or they do something on the track but ultimately the best part is is like everyone has this you know and someone on the team is going to be better at something you know and there's always someone to kind of pull you through and that that's always awesome i mean like that's part of the reason why everyone you know wants to eat that's the big part of the reason people want to go to college and join teams right like you can be the low low man on the totem pole and relatively low and have people that are better than you or have people who fill in those weakness weakness spots and make you better and when you can find that in a professional team versus like doing it lone wolf like i know a lot of people do like it just makes the process so much more fun and rewarding since joining the track club what have you felt you've gotten better in as an athlete Oh man. Okay. Uh, I think patience. <laughs> um, I think patience and then funny enough, like, uh, even though I don't really run many eights anymore, my like base speed has actually gotten better. So, um, there are just like certain speed type workouts that I can do better than before. Um, and then like, I've seen that kind of translate over into eights that I have done. But really, going into, when I was in high school and in college, um, there were always moments where, like, there was, like, a buildup and maybe not, like, the performances that I wanted. But, like, it was always very, like, clear that this is the path I'm on. So, and then a lot of other athletes would have, like, these, you know, in high school or college, they'd have these experiences of being on a plateau. And I, I never had that. Uh, and so... As, as an athlete and as a person, it's actually makes me grow a lot to have hit like my first plateau as a professional athlete and like understand when people talk about like, hey, it, it takes like this other type of dedication to work through that. Um, and so having to develop that, ver like that mental discipline has been probably one of the better things for my career, I think so far. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong about this. Your most recent race, I believe, was the four-by-mile world record. Oh, uh, that was a little bit ago, but that was, that was probably my most fun race recently. Talk, talk about that a little bit. I mean, obviously, breaking a world record, we, all three of us don't know what that's like. Tell us what that's like to be a world record holder. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like a, uh, oh, shit, did that happen moment? And then there's like a moment where it gets kind of euphoric and then you're like, I kind of need to sit down. So that's kind of like the three base motions I went through first. But after that, it was, it was awesome. Um, in that sense too, with it being a four by mile, like I've always loved team sports uh, on the track. So like the DMR and any of those like types of like, my favorite thing at the Olympics is four by four. Um, and so it was that much cooler having done that with three other guys and um, going out to New York with that one kind of like 
mission in mind. But I think that, like, so it took a while for it to set in for us because, like, the four by a mile is not something that's, like, run very often. So, like, that we were kind of joking around about it for a while. We were like, all right, guys, we, we, got the, we got the world record on the race that's, like, never run. And so it was kind of like our inside joke. But then, like, a few more hours passed, and we're like, what? Like, no one else has done that. Like, the, what it takes to get four people to just be ready to do that on, on the day and be willing to do that together is, like, pretty rare. And it was from that moment when I think it was Brandon Kidder who said that. And it was like, and Brandon Kidder is always super great at like uh, kind of like anchoring the team down. And he's like, guys, this is cool. Like when you're old, you're not going to forget this. And it was like that moment when I like got to put myself in that shoes of like, oh, when I'm like an 80 year old man, like I'm probably going to talk about that with pride. Like that is freaking phenomenal. But then the second part was like, oh shoot like I don't want to do it again like like it made I think it made everyone hungrier for to not only want to go out and do the four by mile and do it better but then once you get the taste of that you're like well I want to do that also on an individual level like mile eight or you know and that's pretty cool because like when you're a pro like everything is so small like everything like it comes down to like seconds and hundreds of seconds for things. And those big moments of like massive jumps are relatively kind of done in your career. You're kind of like spending years whittling away these small little bits. So like victories like that, you have to, you can't overlook them. And you end up using the fuel you and like remind you of the trajectory you're on. And, and so I don't know if that answers your question, but like that's kind of the, the gambit of everything that kind of came out of that. No, pretty much. I mean, my follow-up was going to be what, how long did it take you to like finally settle and realizing that you actually broke this? Like, I'm sure as, as athletes, we don't realize it during the time, but after it, it's like, holy cow, did we actually just do that? And, and you guys were able to accomplish that running, I believe it was 1604, 1603. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I don't really remember the time I should. Uh, I know that like David's mom's written printed out pictures for everyone so it's some, I have it somewhere but um yeah I think that was also cool too it was like I mean it took it took a good 24 hours for it to, and your thing's always been you've been always a mile specialist even though in like college it was 1500 for outdoors and of course indoors mile but two-time Pac-12 champion in the 1500 outdoor personally Isaac you were one of my favorite all-time Huskies to watch growing up uh, and I was there for your 2015 Pac-12 championship. Talk about your time as a Husky and what you've learned um, under the coaches that you had. And um, I actually loved my time at UW. Uh, so I guess in order to really um, hone, hone in on that, like I, I would behoove me not to say that I started off at the University of Portland and then transferred in. Um, as a sophomore and I came in completely humbled like uh, I went from like being pretty decent in high school I mean like grade 404 in high school and to, it's a little good <laughs> yeah it was, it, was, it, was, it was okay I did work hard for it but um, the I, I came in like honestly like 10 running like equivalents to 420 you know out of my freshman year and like very anemic and so 
mentally, physically, I was pretty broken down. Um, like, I don't even think that I ran for like five months going into my sophomore year when I transferred in. And there, like, uh, he's not coaching there anymore, but my coach at the time was Greg Metcalf. And man, that, that guy was a powerhouse of confidence. And like, I don't, not even once from the beginning did he ever not believe in me and and honestly never once did he not really like see the potential in everyone on the team and it took me like because like and he he had a little bit of like at times an embrace of coaching styles but there was always like he wanted the best for everyone and like he always would like remind you of like kind of like almost <laughs> i'm not explaining this but like he had so much confidence that he made you believe it as well. And so that was like my very first lesson um, at the University of Washington was, was like how to, how to find those, you know, the fire with it and how to stoke it. And so that was pretty, pretty awesome. And that, that was integral for me getting back on the horse and actually wanting to run. And then um, from there, once I was at that point, I could look at like, you know, we had, like, people like Aaron Nelson, who was, like, the first Husky and, like, first ever to make, like, a cross-country, like, All-American, and, like, we just had, we had a lot of talented people who, like, were capable of doing really good things, and, um, and they would execute uh, in a lot of places, but they would also, like, really show what it took in a lot of the workouts, and at that point, I could start looking at them, and, like, um, seeing the hard work that they were putting in and again it's kind of similar to like your question earlier about like having really good teammates like that was like kind of the next thing where I was like oh you need you need good people around you like rare is it the man that can like or woman who, who can just train on their own and make it without you know without any help like it, it, it requires a, a village um, and then man just like most of it was ethic, work ethic. Like we also had coach uh, Jason Drake, um, and he, I think he coaches at Fresno State now, and he like came from the Mark Wetmore style of coaching. Like he, you know, running with the Buffaloes, he was there coaching some of those Olympians from that time, and with that, he paired perfectly with Metcalf. Like he was like, great, good thing you believe in yourself. Now he'd be like okay effort you got to go be able to run all these miles and do this and you gotta you know and he was like kind of like he would say it in the most ridiculous ways but like he would really ground you into like what it took and um so i think those three things combined with like being diligent about staying healthy but also you know there's always some element of luck um kind of like culminated together over the course of the years um so that's kind of my experience and then was there another question in there? Well, no, just going off that, like the end of your senior year, you finished second runner up in the 1500 at the NCAAs, and then you go on to the U S Olympic trials, finishing 10th. What were those last couple months like, and how crazy was it for you and your training? Uh, you know, those last couple of months were super thrilling, like, but I would be lying if I didn't say it was also exhausting. Um, so cause like I, Going into that senior year, man, I didn't. I had almost no bad races. I had like okay races or races where maybe I wasn't as into it, but every race was like pretty 
was pretty much nailing it for me. And so like, it was like, I think my head was getting kind of big in, in the best way possible of like knowing like, as I was approaching NCAAs, it was like, I can win this thing. And man, I still, sometimes I still watch that, that race where Clayton Murphy comes by and I wish I had known he was actually a 143 guy, but uh, like it's sometimes I'm like, man, wish I had realized, but like um, everything, even like that, even just getting second place, like it just was like, okay, what's next? What, what's the next big thing I can, I can do? Um, but, you know, it, it's for me, like that year was also full of a lot of introspection. Because um, like, you know, being confident and having fire and can only do so much for you because like, no matter what, like we've all been there, like you're going to lose more races than you're going to win. And you've got to be able to like, look back and say like, well, why didn't, why didn't I win? Or why did I miss the mark? And then you got to be able to take that and, and break down and analyze what happened, whether it was like your buildup, uh, were you tired? Did you not execute well in the race? Was it just like, did you not execute well against the person or was it just a bad strategy for you in general? And then you got to be able to like say, okay, how can I fix that? And, and like make it so that I'm in a better place for the next race. So there was a lot of that in the last few months, especially like, and I started doing that a whole lot more and dialing that in up into that second place finish. And then because I kept doing that, I think I was in a really healthy place to, uh, really analyze each because there's three rounds of trials to analyze each round as I went through it like I remember sitting down at a coffee shop um after my first round of the Olympic trials and saying okay I made it through didn't think that I should make it through why did I make it through and why didn't other people know it through? and then so then being able to take that into the next round and then try and take it into the next one and it fell a little bit short but um so it was as much like a mental game as well as it was like firing myself up. Uh, but at the same time, and this is kind of like a word of caution, I think, to college athletes, like you do got to take your chance when it's presented because you don't know like when your last chance is. Um, but it also like, I was so burnt out by the time I finished trials that like I didn't run. Like, I just couldn't, I was like, I hate running. I can't do it. Um, and it was, you know, part of it's just the way that the co like college season set up. Like you go cross country, indoor, outdoor. And so it was just all these things, boom, boom, boom. And probably going into those last few, like those last few months, I probably could have avoided some of the, a lot of that burnout if I had like probably after NCAAs been like, I need to take like, just like a down two or three weeks. Like, we can still do workouts, but like, let's not put any races on the docket. I just need to like recover mentally. And I, and I think that that's also a really powerful thing that will keep a lot of people. This being a, a high school sports-based podcast and as well as a website, um, let's talk about your days a little bit at Lakes High School. And I'm sure Alex, who is now the head coach at Yelm, is glad he's not has to coach against you because Lakes and Yelm are in the same conference. But talk about your day at, at Lakes and what was that like? Because first of all, you're not even from Washington. You weren't even born in Washington. You were born, I believe, in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Born in Michigan and then moved to uh, the Tacoma area. So talk about a brief moment about your time at Lakes High School. Yeah. Um, so 
I, honestly, I loved Lakes High School. Um, I can't say that I loved the school. I was not much of a school guy until college, but my like in uh, my time there, uh, and mostly because of Joe Clark, the, who was the, who's still coaching there, uh, it, it, he made it single-handedly made it awesome. Um, I was kind of always like the awkward kid, um, and you know, so it was kind of hard for me to do find like a lot of friends. Um, I had like a core group of three friends, but then everything else in my group super awesome. But um, Coach Clark was like always like he he was almost kind of like I joke and say he's kind of like my grandpa in a way now. Um, but he always kind of had like that like fatherly type nature to him, and he had that with everyone. Like when he talked to you, he could make you feel like you he like genuinely cared about every little thing that was going on in your life, and like that he could put all of his attention on you. So, like, it just kind of, like, he did a really good job of making the team feel like it was a home. But, like, he also didn't, you know, he didn't take excuses. And so uh, my dad was very similar. He didn't take excuses. So I fit in really well with it. And, like, my first year, like, had uh, running cross-country there was so tough. Um, I grew up playing Yu-Gi-Oh cards and sitting on a couch all day and eating nachos or whatever. So man, I didn't know what exercise meant. And like, I'm probably going to go back to a lifestyle when I'm done running, but whatever. Um, so, I love but, it. So like, I remember my very first one distinctly, like I'll never forget it. I'm wearing sweats, this heavy blue jacket and a red beanie that like comes down to my eyes and it's summer. It's like 80 degrees. I don't know what I was thinking. And I like pooped three times on that run. And I remember thinking like, why am I doing this? Like literally, it's a 30 minute run. And it's like, I, I think it's like every couple of minutes. I was like, why are you doing this to yourself? What is the point? Why? And yet I still kept running. And every practice after that was pretty much similar. But I think because he made it feel like a home, like that's what kept me coming back. And then as like, I think a lot of people find like, when you just do something over and over again, you do see incremental change or you get better and once once I started seeing that I was sold I was like my hard work actually turn into something um yeah and and kind of getting to build that through high school uh all the way to the end and and cultivate that was really cool so Isaac one of my favorite things is, is just to sit down and talk with guys like you and and try to figure out what those consistencies are in elite athletes. Um, so you're giving us all these great um, anecdotes and just kind of cool big picture philosophy things and stories. But I'm wondering, you know, you saw the success in high school, you saw a ton of success at the collegiate level and now at the prof professional level, level. What's the crossover? What remains the same, whether it's training or mindset or the people around you? What, what remains consistent to keep you at that elite level? Yeah, okay, that's a really, that's a great question. Um, I tend to speak big picture, so I'm glad that you, like, are grounding me back with that. Um, so, I, I'll talk a little bit about my routine and, like, specifically what's been kind of, like, consistent all the way through. Uh, so, a lot of, like, prehab or, like, yeah, prehab has always been consistent. And so, from the time that I was in high school up till now, like, 
I still spend like um, anywhere between 20 to 40 minutes stretching before I go to bed. Um, and that stretching can include foam rolling. Uh, and then, you know, as time's gone, I've learned how to do like a few other, you know, mobility things. But just like setting aside 20 to 30 minutes, like once a day or, or at least even on the days of like workouts has been a lifesaver for the most part. Like, um, so like, yeah, I, I probably went overboard with it in high school, but that's always been the same. Um, I've always really, I, I'm a big believer in uh, consistency and mileage and then like challenging yourself with that. Um, and so to me, that doesn't necessarily mean like, I think when people hear that, that, that might come off as like, oh, I just need to do more miles every year than I did last year. And that's not exactly what I mean. Uh, initially at first, when you're in high school, that it, it, it meant that to me. And I think that that works pretty well because when you're in high school, like you just got a lot of building up to do. Um, and there's a, there's a good, there's a bit of base that you want before you go to uh, college and you know, that base is different for everyone. But um, so through high school, I did that a lot. And then even so in college, and then it got kind of more nuanced towards the latter half of my, of college and continuing to like tweak the mileage and, and play with the paces is more what I mean is like, um, at one point, like pushing myself meant more like, okay, now I'm going to, maybe I'm not going to increase mileage, but I'm going to run a little bit harder on these days or in, uh, you know, because I got to know the training more and how it would fit into the big picture of training and where it would be okay or not to do that. And then uh, more recently, it's kind of learning. It, it's been like, you know, a challenge doesn't always have to mean hard. But sometimes a challenge is fighting your own ego. So like learning when to also uh, kind of pull back a little bit. Um, and so I think an actionable way to do that is I would always kind of, I always like map out my goals and look at where I want to go. Um, and I do like an audit of the last year of training, which is like super important. Like that's another thing is keeping a, a, a journal of your running. You can do stuff like this. Um, and I would, so I'll go back and do like an audit and look at it and say like, what worked, what didn't work and how can I, how can I challenge myself with mileage or running more this way? And again, that doesn't always mean harder. It means like, oh, I, I got a hamstring injury following these sorts of things. Well, now I know if I'm on a plane because I'm coming back from a race and then I have a hard workout the day after that, that, okay, the challenge there is being able to tell my coach, hey, my hamstrings get really tight when I'm on a plane. So doing that, like, can we talk about what it means to do, like, you know, really hard 200s at the end because I don't want to rip my hamstring. Um, so that's always been there, like having that conversation about mileage and challenging myself in that way. Um, and yeah, I think the last piece is, again, it's like, it's, I've had a lot of change just from the different coaches that I've had over a year. So like, I've never been really married to any one type of workout or anything, but uh, so I know this kind of sounds like, again, like a little bit more like 
not as concrete, but like I've always, always from the very beginning had very open dialogues with my coaches about uh, how I'm responding to training or how my, my perceived response to training. Because sometimes like my perception is not actually accurate to what's actually going on. Um, and so my, like when I talk about like social arts, you know, back in high school, like there was a period of time when I would go and talk to them every day, you know, and it, and I also did that with my class, with my class. Um, I have like a little, like there's a little bit more of a break now between how much I communicate with Coach Mackey, but like we also like, we're both adults and kind of like know how I work a little bit more, but like that doesn't change. Like I still have these conversations and it's funny because like when you play other sports like uh, basketball or whatever, like you'll every once in a while you hear people say, don't forget your fundamentals. Don't forget your fundamentals. And for me, like part of my fundamentals is like having that conversation because otherwise, like for me personally, I feel like I'm flying in the dark and like I just raise my risk of getting hurt or, or sometimes it's like not even that. It's like what we're doing right now doesn't seem very challenging. For me. So uh, I think I'm ready to do a little bit more. And then he's like, um, maybe you are ready. Or sometimes he's like, yes, you are. Or sometimes he's like, no, 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 that was written using on purpose. Um, those have been my three big things. Yeah. Isaac, I think the one thing that stands out to me the most about you as a person is your loyalty. Obviously, being at Lakes High School, you go to the University of Washington, which is 30 minutes away from Lakes High School, and then you choose a professional career that's based in Seattle. I mean, obviously, you could have gone to ran it for Nike. You could have ran for Reebok, anybody in the country, but you decide to stay home in Washington. What does that mean to you to represent not only Brooks, but the entire state of Washington as a whole? Yeah. So, I mean, it means a ton to me. Like I was having a conversation about this, like last year before COVID. Um, and like, I think the best way to put it is when you have like, like when I was a kid and I think a lot of kids dream about like, being a football player or whatever you don't at least for me like I didn't know very many people who were like oh I dream about like going to some far off team and representing them a lot of a lot of people around me and myself included were like I want to represent hometown I want the hometown to come out and see and be proud and I want to be part of that pride uh and so that's like always kind of carried through and I'm thinking that's probably partially that's partially why like I also like didn't really like University of Portland at all because it didn't it wasn't home it, it didn't have that feeling um, and so like when I'm training in Seattle when I'm putting on the singlet for Brooks and I like even though I think it should have a space needle on it it doesn't but I'll pick it up with the big man um, it the, what it represents is just like it has an extra layer of like I think about everyone in the community that has helped me that is literally a part of my tribe. And it, 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 it roots me back down, keeps me, make sure that I'm like humble and um, yeah, it, 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 there's nothing better. And before we let you go, uh, one final thing, everyone knows you obviously as a runner, but you're probably your closest friends know you as a D and D stud and then a star Wars geek as well. Talk about that a little bit. Cause we actually got our own star Wars geek right here with Kyle who loves Star Wars to death. Uh, t- 
talk about that, how, how that came about and why you love Star Wars and Dr- Dungeons and Dragons so much. Oh, man. I mean, like, it only gets better if you're playing a D&D game at Star Wars Universe. But, um, gosh, I, my first movie memory is going to see The Phantom Menace, which I know is not great because of Jar Jar Binks. But it got me into the franchise, so I don't care. <laughs> when Darth Maul pulled out the double blade lightsaber, I was in. Um, and like, yeah, ever since then, I've, I've loved Star Wars. Um, I've always been like, uh, always been kind of like a nerd, or so to speak, or I don't know what term it is. Yeah, nerd or geek. But from before, I was ever an athlete. I mean. Uh, I like my real passion is telling stories. And so I like immediately gravitate to these like epic stories. So it's like, yeah, of course I, I gravitated to the cult uh, and like love of Star Wars. And I mean, I, I didn't just stop there. I mean, I, I mean, I started reading all of the books and, and I got to ask like, Kyle, did you, do you read the books? Oh yeah. Well, audible, audible them all, but uh, fantastic. So some of them are um, abridged, so they're shortened and you know, not as good as, as the real deal. I still need to get the hard copies so I can appreciate them in their entirety, but mm-hmm. phenomenal books. I appreciate it. You're the first person I've talked to in like quite a while who has like actually read the books and like uh, I geeked out on them so hard. And I'm, this might be a hot take. I don't know where you sit with this, but I cannot stand the new Star Wars. Agreed. Agreed. And oh, when people are freaking out about, you know, who's Grand Animal Thrawn, it's like, oh, he's in the cartoons. Like, he's not in the cartoons. He's in the books. You got you to gotta go back to your Bible. You got to read up there and not watch the cartoons. Come on. Dude, I know. I know. And But I will say, they are killing it with, like, the, you know, the, like, spin-off episodes of, like, Rogue One. Um, I actually really like uh, what was it? A solo story with about Han. Mm-hmm. That really captured the feeling of like that rogue for me. Um, I agree. I think that got a bad rep just because it came right after the Last Jedi, and people wanted to hate it just because they hated um, the Last Jedi. So I th- think it gets more hate than it deserves. It's an incredible Star Wars story. I'm, I could talk about this all all night. <laughs> hey, what was your thoughts on the Mandalorian? You know, this is where I fail as a Star Wars fan. I haven't seen it yet. Oh my gosh. Do you need do you need a login? Like I'll help a brother out. Like, come on. You need to watch it. I mean, yes, I do need a login. <laughs> That's the only reason I haven't seen it. Personally, I'm not as big a Star Wars fan as Kyle is, but I enjoyed it so much and he got me hooked onto it, as well as the Clone Wars series as well, the cartoon version. So I'm sure you two could have a conversation about Star Wars all day if we wanted to. So, keep a lookout in your DMs. I'll I'll see what I can do. So, um, I will be internally grateful for that. Um, and then, yeah, like uh, coming off of that, going back to your question before I go too far down the Star Wars route, like I I love the indie. Um, I I also write. I like, am working on my first book, uh, and like so anything epic fantasy sci-fi and like D is just a great way to channel that out um 
I did a lot of acting before, like doing like a lot of theater work before I started running. Um, and so like as a professional runner, like there's no time to like try out for plays and do things because we're always traveling and doing stuff. So running B&B games has been a great way to kind of keep that love alive. And um, at the same time, like it's really fun to create, co-create stories. Uh, and so part of it is just like seeing how like excited it makes other people. Can you give us a little sneak peek of what you're writing so far? Oh gosh. Um, so I'm working on two projects. One is done and getting beta feedback and going to an editor. And that is called voice of the gin. And it follows three characters. Um, and two belong to a magical order, if you will. They're called the Ilithani. Um, and then one is a burgeoning prince. Uh, and it's, um, this story kind of like follows what happens to them. And it is their the slow convergence over a period of time that is kind of wrapping them into the starts of this uh, kind of genocidal fueled war. They're, is this whole other world that's kind of alongside that fuels the magic. The magic system works with these things called staves, which bind uh, energy. Um, usually, so like, it, it would be like the, like, it's like captured energy, but not like the thing. So for example, when they're binding something, it would be like within the binder circle, they would have a group of men hug on a rope that's attached to something and it would capture the pulling motion. And then when you break the save, you get to use that magic. So um, I haven't really written a back thing to it, but that's the, that's the most I can say in a very convoluted way. The other book that I'm working on is called um, Ascendant. And that kind of follows a dystopian uh, city named Hasball up in the high north um, of a world that's kind of set at a 58 degree tilt and um, it's kind of set in a flintlock uh, crystal era so you can kind of think black powder technology um, and it follows this girl as she's kind of finding these magic powers she has where she can uh, turn cloth into metal and vice versa. So. So yeah, those are kind of the two projects I'm working on. He's an author. He's a D&D master, Star Wars nerd, and an awesome runner. Isaac, it was a privilege to have you on the rundown with us. Um, thanks again for coming on and good luck. And hopefully there's some racing coming up. And I know you guys are going to enjoy your time with Altitude Training in, Al in Albuquerque. So thanks again, man. Heck yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. You guys are great. And that was Isaac Yorks. Uh, Kyle, I think I just made you a new best friend. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, you know, just like any any runner, uh, what I really, you know, when, whether you're at the, the high school professional runner scene, you're always going to have, um, you know, I think runners are a little bit more on, on the nerdy end to begin with. So, you know, I think it's great that you see, for the most part on social media, you're calling Quigley's or your your Sam uh, or Clayton Murphy or your Tin Man guys, and they just look like, you know, they're the jocks, they're the people you see in your high school. So it's good to see a professional athlete who's kind of more of like, you know, our people. 
if that makes sense. Everyone be on the lookout for his books coming out because I'm sure they're going to be great. And if you're a Star Wars guy or if you have a Disney Plus account, help a brother out. He needs to watch The Mandalorian. So, <laughs> Mo- Moving along to our last segment, and we'll try to run through as quick as possible. We are running a little bit over time. But it is our top 50 Washington cross-country girls rankings with 41 through 50. Coming in at 50, Anna Grabowski of Liberty High School. Number 49, Caitlin Flolo of Camus. Number 48, Matisse Mulch of Lakeside and Nine Mile Falls, the dreaded rival of Alex McIntyre and the Deer Park Stags. Coming at number 47, Aubrey Harrington from Capitol. 46, Belle Johnson of Gig Harbor. 45, Christina Crow from Holy Names. 44, Bridget Burns of Lewis and Clark. 43, Nell O'Hara of Woodenville. 42, Faith Martinez of Tahoma. And at number 41, Josephine Stevenson of Bellarmine Prep. On this list, which 10 of these ladies stand out the most to you guys? Alex, I'm going to start with you. Oh, man, there's just so many variables, which makes this so hard. So I'm just going to stick to like the things that I've known to be true. Patty lays at Gig Harbor, and I think she's a phenomenal coach. I've gotten to know her a little bit um, since I was in high school. I remember just seeing her at the camps that I went to. Uh, and I really trust in the process that, that she accomplishes with her athletes. So if I'm looking at like Belle Johnson from Gig Harbor, um, somebody who, oh, man, you might have to check me on this, I think is a young athlete. Um, I don't know if this is her senior year. I think she's younger. Um, so kind of getting into that routine with Patty and, and what she's done and what she's accomplished. Um, somebody who might find themselves in a top 30 rather than a top 50. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll trust in the, the, the Patty Lay system and, and point her out. I'll give us your take on these athletes. Yeah, phenomenal runners from you know top to bottom here. Uh, a name that really sticks out for me, Christina Crow from Holy Names Academy. Uh, their program that's always uh, very competitive, especially at the 3A level. And I know she's got a handful of teammates that are uh, working hard and are wanting to get that top spot in the 3A division again. So she's got teammates that are willing to push her. Uh, I think she may be a little bit higher than that 45 position you have her at. And then uh, Matisse Mulch and Bridget Burns, just Eastsiders, uh, great runners. I know Lewis and Clark has had phenomenal girls teams the last couple of years. And I think um, Bridget Burns is going to surprise some people. I think those are the names that stick out for me. I agree with you on that. I watched Bridget last year at the Highlander invite. She won, I believe it was the freshman race uh, just a strong individual uh, very competitive and we all know that Lewis and Clark develops fantastic runners so the future is looking bright for Bridget Burns but the athlete that I feel is going to surprise a lot of people and she's been having a rough couple of years is Faith Martinez of Tahoma High School so her freshman year phenomenal I think she got eighth and ran a personal best of 1831 or something like that has taken a step back a little bit um, don't know why, perhaps injuries, uh, but has been building a program like Tahoma in the right direction. Obviously, Jeff Brady, the head coach for them, does a phenomenal job. Brian Martinez, her dad and assistant coach, does a great job mentoring those athletes. I see Faith taking, I guess, play on words, a leap of faith in, into 2021 and have a great senior year. Her, her brothers run in Division One at Grand Canyon. University, I think she steps it up this year and perhaps 
that Tahoma Camus rivalry is going to be an even more interesting one with her being uh, one of their top girls this season. So those are our top 10 girls rankings, 41 through 50 each week. Now it's not every other Friday since the cross country season is literally right around the corner. We're going to have new rankings revealed each week. That's going to wrap it up for our show today. And before we take off final thoughts, Alex, give me your take on the WIA news as well as this top 10 list. The WIA news is it is what it is. <laughs> um, and we're just, we're just going to go with it. So I'm, I'm excited. I think it's going to be um, good regardless of the time that we start um, runners endure. It's what we do. So we'll make it work. And of course, like I said, Kyle, I've made you a new best friend. So having a conversation with a guy like Isaac, knowing that you don't have to be that jock athlete to be a super studded runner. You can be that nerdy guy that stands in the corner and does whatever. But I mean, such a phenomenal that's about, guy. That's about 90% of runners in general. So, you know, it's just good to know there's one of us at, up there at the, the higher levels, but just a phenomenal guy. Um, I do remember a couple of stories back when he was in, in high school. We were the same grade, 2012. And, you know, just the stuff you hear about him, we're just phenomenal, great person. I believe he's also an ambassador for the Special Olympics. Um, you know, so he's just a great guy. And that's one of the reasons it's easy to cheer for him. He wants to represent his home team. And he's just a phenomenal athlete. So that's fantastic that, you know, when you talk to someone like that and they're exactly what you'd imagine. So here's cheering for uh, Isaac Yorks. And hopefully he gets an opportunity to have a chance to compete in the 2021 summer games as the Olympics were moved to this summer. And maybe we'll see him running in the 1500 with someone like Matt Centrowitz. And we will say we've been able to talk to an Olympian athlete, which will be pretty darn cool. So our thanks to him for joining us the show. That's going to wrap it up for Alex McIntyre, Kyle Paulson, myself, Keenan Gray. Thank you for tuning in to The Rundown, presented by The Runner Washington. Be sure to listen to this on SoundCloud and also to follow The Runner Washington on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And be sure to check out the website at www.therunnerwalk.com. Hopefully we see you guys again real soon and cross country is right around the corner. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.